Vacation Bible School, as you can tell. Uh, so badly wanted to get on this four-wheeler this morning as part of the, uh, as part of the service, but just couldn't quite figure out uh, how, to make that, how to make that happen. So you still can sign up for uh, Vacation Bible School for sure if you know people that would love to be kids in your area, maybe your neighborhood, friends of your family, whatever the case might be, for them to be able to come and, and participate in Vacation Bible School. This kicks off our summer and it is a very full summer. We have Vacation Bible School, Falls Creek, Super Summer, Kids Camp, Mission Trips, and your family's supposed to rest and vacation somewhere uh, in there. But the people behind me are those who make a lot of this happen. Now what you see on stage with the decorations, they organize that and press that through, but we also have a lot of talented people in our church that make this happen. My family, wanted me to make sure that the band was not actually playing behind the waterfall this morning. That was the marvel of technology, that that was coming through David's computer, and we didn't have a band behind the waterfall. Um, but you guys, uh, step up, we want to be able to, uh, to be able to pray for you all. Uh, Jaron and Maddie, who is our student intern for the summer, they're gearing up for Falls Creek and ways to minister to... Uh, to our kid, our, our teenagers, not our kids, goodness, our teenagers, uh, and then Courtney and Amy and everything they do with Vacation Bible School and Kids Camp and ministering to families uh, during, the, during the summer. I put on the screen just a couple of ways that you can think about, how can I get involved? How can I stay connected? When you give as a church, it helps us to do things like Vacation Bible School, Plus, you send your empty cereal boxes, and you give goldfish, and you provide snacks for the volunteers to keep them going when they want to give up on Wednesday, and so those things matter a lot. As soon as Vacation Bible School and Falls Creek are over, these folks have to start thinking about, and they're already thinking about, Sunday school teachers for the fall. You may know someone who would love to teach kids Sunday school. You may be interested in that. You can get involved in that way. And there are other things coming up, especially our midsummer church picnic, where we also do camp share and talk about how God's been at work in our church during the summer. So lots of different things going on. But mainly, I want to be able to pray for these folks this summer, for us to pray for them as a church as they get started. Here's how we're going to do that, though. If you would open your Bible to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1 is going to be... Our, our passage for the sermon this morning. So Mark chapter 1, and I've asked, uh, I've asked Maddie to read this passage of Scripture for us this morning, and then after Maddie reads this passage of Scripture, I'm going to pray over these folks. Can you project really loudly without the microphone, or is that going to help? You can try. So, yeah, it's good. You're good. All right, we're going to read Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 13, and then I'm going to pray over these folks. So, Go for it. It's all yours. All right. Mark 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea, and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. 
Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness for forty days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Let's pray together this morning. Father, thank you uh, for your word. God, thank you for that message of the gospel that's at the core of what we're trying to do this summer. God, we know that all the decorations that go into Vacation Bible School, all the planning that goes into Falls Creek, all the other things that we're doing, God, we're not doing those just to put on events. We're doing those because we want people to hear the good news of Jesus. We want to be able to connect with our, with our neighbors. Um, and God, we pray that you would send us out to share that hope that we have God, thank you for Courtney and Amy and the way that they care for our volunteers and parents and families. God, I know they've already put in a lot of long days and nights and, and preparing for this week to come. God, give them joy um, as they minister to volunteers and parents. God, continue to guide us as a church as we share the gospel with kids in, in our area. God, thank you for Jaron and Maddie and the work that they put into Falls Creek and all the relationships that will be built with teenagers this summer. God, I pray that this morning as we consider this passage from the Gospel of Mark, God, that you would bring us together as the church, God, that our hearts would be focused on you, and God, that we would continue to live in faith, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, thank you guys very much. There you go. Hey, as we get started, I also want to let you know that if you didn't have time to put that guest card, if you filled out one of those guest cards or prayer cards and didn't have enough time to put that in the offering plate, you weren't ready to do that, after the service, I stay down here at the front, our other pastors stay down here at the front, you can hand that to someone who's at the exit door as you leave, we'd love to be able to follow up and and care for your family in, in some way. So, we are taking a very small break from the Gospel of Matthew that we've been working through And we're going to look at a passage from Mark this morning because every year around Vacation Bible School, I try to do a sermon or maybe one or two sermons about whatever the Vacation Bible School theme is for for that year. And so this year, our theme is In the Wild. When I think about In the Wild, how many of you have seen the new Bear Grylls show on Netflix called You vs. Wild? Has anybody watched You vs. Wild on Netflix? All right, well, you're really missing out if you haven't watched You vs. Wild. So, so you're Bear Grylls, who if you remember him from several years ago at Discovery Channel adventure shows, you get to decide what option he takes on an adventure. So he's trying to make a decision, do I fight the bear with my bare hands or do I jump off this cliff over here? And with your little remote on Netflix, you get to pick which option Bear takes. And so it's a really fun family show. We love it. Uh, Bear's a, a good influence and a fun guy, fun guy to watch. If you're not familiar with Bear Grylls, then hopefully you've read Where the Wild Things Are, and you know how Max becomes keen of the wild things, and then he kind of gets homesick, and he goes back to his room, and he's waiting on his supper there. And so when we think about this idea 
of going into the wild, I was trying to think about what passage, what could we talk about for this idea of going into the wild? Mark chapter 1 is a great picture of that because it shows us what it looked like for Jesus to go into the wild, for what it looked like for Jesus to encounter the wild animals, and then we're going to try to ask ourselves, what's the point of that? What is Mark's gospel? What is God trying to teach us through that passage? So let's look back in Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 9. Mark chapter 1, verse 9 says, In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan River, in the Jordan when it says in those days, it's talking about the ministry of John the Baptist that was just mentioned earlier in this passage, how John comes to prepare the way for the Messiah, to prepare the way for the coming of the kingdom of God. And so in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee. Why does it matter that he came from Nazareth of Galilee? Because this was a nowhere place. This was a backwater place. This was an insignificant place. And John had just said, hey, one greater than me is going to come to bring the kingdom of God. And they're like, oh, yeah, someone great is coming. But they're coming from there? Nobody great comes from Nazareth of Galilee. You don't come from the north down to the south. You don't come from up north in Galilee down to Jerusalem to bring the way. It doesn't work that way. It's completely surprising that it would happen this way. And that he would come and be baptized by John in the Jordan. If Jesus is so much greater than John, why is he being baptized by John? Well, he's doing that to show that he is standing in, the, in line with what John has been proclaiming, that he is going to stand with sinners, and his baptism becomes a preview of his death and his resurrection that is to come. And so it's surprising in every way the way this story happens when Jesus comes to be baptized here. And then it says in verse 10, when he was baptized and he had come up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. What we see here is at the beginning of Jesus' ministry as he is preparing to go out, you see a combination of the work of God's Spirit and then God's Word being spoken into the situation. What I would want you to focus on here is this is the combination that brings life at the very beginning of creation. When you go back to Genesis chapter 1, God's Spirit is present, hovering over the darkness, and God speaks. God's Word and God's Spirit brings life. You track that all the way through the Old Testament, all the stories that we read. It's this combination of the Spirit of God, His power, His presence, and the Word of God that causes His plans to be carried out. Which means that when we think about our own lives, what are we most in need of? The work of God's Spirit and the power of God's Word. What brings change in a person's life? What brings change in a marriage? What brings change in a church? The work of God's Spirit and the presence of God's Word. God's Spirit and God's Word are what he always establishes to do his work. This decoration is super cool. 
We are completely in favor of this. We have to deal with the elephant in the room, unfortunately, this morning, but uh, I've really been holding on to that one for, for about 10 minutes. So I have to deal with the elephant in the room. This is, we love this. We love the games. We love the crafts. We especially love the snacks. All of that. What makes the impact on a kid's life? What changes a marriage? What holds together a person late in life? The power of God's Spirit and the truth of God's Word. God's Spirit, God's Word always does the work to bring life. So we see that happening here in these verses. Verse 12, this is surprising. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by Satan. Now, this has just been this incredible expression of God's spirit and God's word at work. This is the very pinnacle of what it looks like to see God's spirit and God's word at work. And now Jesus gets sent into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. In our minds, especially our American minds, those two things don't go together. Like if Jesus was so spiritual, and if he was experiencing the power of God's word, why is he facing all this trouble all of a sudden? Uh, so when people get baptized, um, one of the things I do is I usually try to always follow up with a letter. And in that letter, one of the things I say is, hey, when Jesus was baptized, immediately after his baptism, he faced a lot of difficulty and temptation and suffering. You shouldn't expect anything differently. When you are baptized, when you say, I want you to see what God has done in my life, I want you to see what it looks like to put my faith into action, when you do that, you can expect that you too are probably going to face suffering and temptation and difficulty. Because if we're not careful, we think, yeah, yeah, but, but I finally am living a spiritual life and I'm finally listening to the word of God. Surely everything is going to be easy and go well right now. No, prob probably not. There's usually this pattern of that is when you're going to face the suffering. That is when you're going to face the temptation. Does that mean that God is no longer at work in the situation? Oh, quite the opposite. God is absolutely at work. Look at the verse there in verse 12. It says that the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. It's not that God's Spirit has pulled back and stopped being involved. God's Spirit is actually the one who is putting Jesus out into this place where he's going to face some difficulty. Is it because he doesn't love Jesus? Not at all. It's because through that difficulty, through that suffering, we're going to see more of the work of God in, in this story. And so I just want you to be reminded in your own life, whatever you're facing, if you're facing temptation and you're facing suffering, it does not mean that God has stopped working in your life. In fact, God's spirit and God's word will probably work most powerfully through that suffering and through that temptation that you're facing right now. So, so don't think that God has stopped working in your life in that situation. So we see here that immediately he was driven into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. Why the reference to 40 days? Well, Moses was 40 days in the wilderness. Elijah was 40 days. Probably specifically it refers, though, to Israel being 40 years in the wilderness because of their disobedience. When you see wilderness mentioned here, I want to make sure we understand that concept of, of wilderness. 
when you see wilderness mentioned here, and we're going to talk about this more as we go this morning, but we think, oh, wilderness, that's going to be a fun family camping adventure. Or wilderness, let's go out and explore. When they heard wilderness, they thought terror. The wilderness was a place of complete terror. The wilderness was also considered to be a very supernatural place. Uh, Kids, I don't know if you've seen the new Aladdin movie or the old Aladdin cartoon. The new Aladdin movie's awesome. I really liked it. But uh, the idea that you would go out into the desert or you would go out into the wilderness to experience some crazy experience, this is what the people would have thought about. The wilderness was a place of terror. It was a place of supernaturalism. It was a place of darkness. You didn't go out to the wilderness. But Jesus is going even further into the wilderness. Why? It's because with the ministry of Jesus, he is going to bring to fulfillment two lines of story that have been going through the Bible. The first goes back to the story of Adam and Eve. Genesis chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. I have to turn around like this. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. In other words, after the sin, after the fall, they're banished to work the ground from which they had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim, and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. So Adam and Eve are living in this paradise, this Garden of Eden. And remember, when we think about the Garden of Eden, we think about it on top of a mountain because there's so much symbolism in the Bible about the mountaintop. And so the Garden of Eden is on this mountain, and they're living there, but in their sin, they rebel against God and his plan, and so they are sent out. You almost get a little bit of that language that comes from Mark chapter 1 verse 12, being driven out, being sent out. Jesus, not because of his sin, but Adam and Eve because of their sin, are sent out from the garden. Where do they go? To the wilderness. That's the concept of wilderness, is they've been sent out of the garden into the wilderness. That same wilderness theme shows up all throughout the story of Israel. One of the clearest places we find it is in Deuteronomy chapter 1, Uh, verse 40. Moses is speaking to them. He says, but as for you, turn and journey into the wilderness. He's retelling the story of what happened, the journey into the wilderness. Why? Because of Israel's rebellion and lack of faith at Kadesh Barnea. You say, I don't know that story. Well, here's the story. God had brought his people right up to the edge of the promised land, and they sent 12 spies into the promised land And the spies came back, and they said, it's incredible. There's all this amazing, lush vegetation. It is a place we want to be, except there are giants in the land. There are enemy forces. There are huge, fortified cities. It looks really great. It looks like a promised land, but it also looks really scary, and I'm not thinking we want to go in there. Only Joshua and Caleb wanted to advance Everyone else says no. All the people got hysterical, cried, stayed up all night with their kids because their kids couldn't go to sleep because they were crying because they were scared. It was, a, it was a really bad day. They did not go ahead in faith. And so you know where God sent them? Deeper back into the wilderness. 
They were right on the edge of entering into the promised land, but because of fear and lack of faith, they are sent back into the wilderness. The book of Hebrews tells that story again, and it says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. So circling back, thinking about this, why is Jesus sent into the wilderness after his baptism? Because he is going to relive, he is going to bring to completion what Adam and Eve and the people of Israel were not able to fully do. And that's to overcome fear, to overcome sin, and to overcome death. So the reason Jesus is sent out into the wilderness is because of what happened to Adam and Eve and what happened to the people of Israel, and now he's going to bring that story to completion. So you go back to Mark chapter 1, and you look back there in verse 13. He was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. So he's in the wilderness, and he's going to face this temptation that Adam and Eve faced, that Israel faced, and he's going to overcome that in the face of fear. But it also says he was with the wild animals. Why in the world would Mark, in writing the gospel here, go out of his way to say that Jesus was with the wild animals. He could have just said Jesus went into the wilderness, but he specifically mentions that he was with the wild animals. One of the main things I want us to do this morning is try to answer that question. Why would Mark put that phrase, with the wild animals? The first answer is it has to do with fear. In the wilderness, there were all kinds of wild animals that the people were terrified terrified of. So it's another way of saying Jesus is facing fear. But I think, I think Mark is doing something else. I think it's another way that Mark is showing the fulfillment that Jesus is going to bring with his ministry. And in order to see this, what we want to learn to do is to read these threads throughout Scripture. In other words, one of the things I want you to do as a result of being a part of Emmaus is to become confident where you can take a particular theme or you can take a particular thread and you can watch the way it goes from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible. One of the ways we try to help you do this is what we call the three circles model. The three circles model is a great way to tell people about how to become a follower of Jesus, but it's also a great tool to help us as we read our Bible. So the way the three circles model works is you start up on the top left with God's design, God's goodness in creation, and then sin takes us away from God's good design, takes us away from God's design, and sin leads to brokenness. And we try to deal with our brokenness in our own ways, and our own power, but it never works. It just takes us further and further from God on this crazy path. The only hope to get back to God is when we repent and we believe in the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, 
And then God leads us by his power to recover and pursue and live out his design for our life and for our world. So there's a model there that you can draw in the dirt or write on a napkin and tell someone this is what it looks like to be made right with God. This is what it looks like to be saved. But not only that, that's a great model for thinking about how we read the whole Bible. How it begins with the story of God's design. And then it shows us sin and the results of sin. And it tells us that the only way to be made right with God is through Jesus. And then it tells us this is how you live the life that God has called you to live. It's a picture of how to read scripture. If you do better with list, what we're talking about here is what is called biblical theology. What we want to do really well at Emmaus, what we want to do really well at Emmaus is we want to understand the big picture of God's work because the more we understand that, the more we can take the individual examples and these verses and we can plug this in and say, oh yeah, now I see how this is working. This is extremely helpful if you don't know your Bible well and you get intimidated by Bible verses and you don't know where to turn and you just feel completely overwhelmed. When we begin to learn the big picture story, then we can come down and deal with the details and then we study the details and see how they fit within the big picture story, and then we bring it back down. And so what we're doing is we're just trying to build up an understanding of God's word, a biblical, a biblical theology that starts with creation, leads to sin and brokenness when we rebel against God's way and we live in sin, but God always provides good news. He's always providing a hope of the gospel, first through Israel, through his people that he had set apart to bring this light and this hope to the world, we know that ultimately they were not able as a people to do that, but one who came from Israel was able to do that, which is Jesus, who was Messiah and Lord and Savior. And then he established his church to be the people of God and to live that out ultimately for all eternity in the new creation. Now, why would I show you that? Why, why do we talk about that? Because we're trying to answer the question, why did Mark put in his story that Jesus was with the wild animals? One of the ways we answer that is we trace this wild animal theme throughout Scripture. Here's how we do that. We start in Genesis chapter 1. These verses are going to be on the screen behind me. But if you have a phone with the Bible in front of you, or you have a hard copy of the Bible, I'm going to ask you to turn with me. We're going to take time to turn to these because we're going to kind of flip through our Bible or scroll through our phone, which doesn't have quite the same impact, but I still love the fact that the Bible's on the phone. So you can pull out either one of those. Kids, you guys can do this. This is a good opportunity if you have a Bible in front of you. We're going to start at the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1. And if you don't have a Bible in front of you, the verses will be up on the screen behind me. But we're trying to build up this picture of Jesus encountered the wild animals because he's dealing with fear and danger, but is there something else going on there? Is there a thread that's going through Scripture? Genesis chapter 1, verse 25. God made, Genesis 1, verse 25, God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds 
and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. One of the translations, instead of saying that God made the beast of the earth in verse 25, it says that God made the wild animals. So God creates these animals. He creates the things of the world, and he says what? They're scary. They're dangerous. Does he say that? No, he says they're good. They are a good part of the world that God has created. And then in verse 26, he says, Let us make man in our image. So distinct from the animals, distinct from the wild animals, let us make man, this is verse 26, in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion. Let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God establishes humanity and part of the role of humanity in God's good design is that they will rule over and care for the animals. How do we see this played out? Chapter 2. Turn to Genesis chapter 2, verse 19. Genesis chapter 2, verse 19. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field or every wild animal and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. The man would speak to the animal, would name the animal as a way of showing dominion and rule. Whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to the wild animals or to the beasts of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So you see an image here of, again, Adam is interacting with the animals. He is speaking to the animals, ruling over them, caring for them. Then go to chapter 3. So that's God's good design. But now go to chapter 3. Now the serpent. So coming in the form of an animal here. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast or any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Here's something we have to see about the introduction of sin into the story of Scripture. What was the call to Adam in regard to the animals? Adam was supposed to speak to the animals. He was supposed to name the animals. What happens in chapter 3? It gets reversed. It gets flipped. The animal speaks back to the woman. Part of the problem in chapter 3 with the introduction of sin into the story is that the order of creation gets flipped. Man was supposed to care for the animals, was supposed to have dominion over the animals, name the animals, but in chapter 3, it gets flipped. And so now creation begins to try to rule over man as opposed to man stewarding and caring for creation. And so then you get down to verse 14. After Adam and Eve give in to this sin, chapter 3, verse 14, the Lord God is now speaking to the serpent. It's like a reversal of, of verse 1. So 314 
the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the wild animals or the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And then if you love to write in your Bible, you want to circle Genesis three fifteen because oftentimes this is referred to as the first gospel or, or um, the, the forerunner of the message of the gospel. 3.15, I will put enmity, oh my goodness, I didn't even get half the letters right in that word. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise, or some translations will say crush your head, and you shall bruise his heel. This becomes a prophecy of the defeat that Jesus will have over Satan. And it even goes back to the story that we read earlier in Mark chapter 1. It begins this thread that's going to push its way through Scripture. All right, now fast forward to the book of Psalms. If you have trouble finding the book of Psalms, it's generally, you just kind of open to the middle. Psalms chapter 91 I always end up in Isaiah when I open to the middle, but you're supposed to end up in Psalms. So uh, Psalm chapter 91 is what we're trying to find. So remember our thread. God's good creation of the animals. He places Adam and Eve with them. Sin enters the story, and you have this new competition, this new clash between man and beast, especially between man and serpent. But there's a prophecy out there that one day the serpent's head will be crushed. Okay, So we're, we're trying to trace this thread. Now let's go to Psalm chapter 91 and start in verse 11. Psalm 91, verse 11. For the Lord will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Just a really quick stop there. If those words sound familiar to you, it's because they're used in the story of the temptation that shows up in the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke. We read from Mark this morning, and so Mark doesn't give the back and forth between Jesus and Satan, but this is a, a verse that Satan himself tries to quote, to use against Jesus, to tempt him. And it says, on their hands, speaking of the angels, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. But then read verse 13. You will tread on the lion and the serpent. The young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Does that sound familiar? Yeah. That's Genesis 3.15 being worked out in the Psalms. Here's the incredible irony of it. In the temptation scene in the Gospels, Satan tries to use Psalm 91, 11 and 12 against Jesus, somehow forgetting that verse 13 is about his ultimate defeat. The ultimate misuse of Scripture is that Satan tries to use two verses against Jesus, and the very next verse says, and you're going to be defeated, picking up this theme. Verse 14, because he holds me fast to him, or because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. 
I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. In other words, you do not need to be afraid of these wild animals. I will protect you. I will bring deliverance. All right? Isaiah chapter 11. If you just keep turning in your Old Testament, you're going to go past Proverbs, Son of Solomon, Ecclesiastes. I've got those out of order. Ultimately, though, you're going to get to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 11. Here's what happens in Isaiah chapter 11. You get a picture of the new creation. You get a picture of where this story is headed. What's going to happen with the wild animals? Where's this going in the wild? Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. So this too a prophecy of the coming of the, of the rescuer. His delight, in verse 3, shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. So here comes the rescuer. Here comes the good news. Now watch what happens in verse 6. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. The young, their young shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. And the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. You see what's happening? God's design is he creates these incredible animals and he creates people to care for them, to rule over them. Sin comes and it completely turns everything upside down, inside out, messes up all of that. But there is hope that one will come to destroy the serpent and not only destroy the serpent, but bring back the harmony of all of God's created order. So then we go back to Mark chapter 1. And when we get back to Mark chapter 1, we're reminded there in verse 13 that Jesus was with the wild animals as he is taking on this battle, this temptation with Satan, and the angels were ministering to him. So why is Jesus with the wild animals in Mark chapter 1 verse 13? Number one, he is facing fear and danger in our place. It's a, it's a picture of him taking on this fear and danger. But I think also it's a preview of Jesus saying, and I am beginning to fulfill the promise to restore creation to the way that God has designed it. In other words, 
all of these hopes that are found in Isaiah chapter 11, those are going to come true through me because I'm here with the wild animals. I'm bringing all of God's plans to fulfillment. And one of the ways we know that is because it says here that the angels are ministering to him. They are caring for him. I want you to turn to the end of the Gospel of Mark, to Mark chapter 16. Because in Mark chapter 16, we find these angels back at work. And you're going to find two themes that have stood out for us at this point. Now Mark chapter 16, we're going to pick it up in verse 5. Mark 16, 5. And entering the tomb, the women saw a young man sitting on the right side dressed in a white robe. Angel. <laughs> and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be afraid or do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Okay, don't miss how great this is. So why is Jesus with the wild animals? Because he is facing fear and danger. He is saying, do not be afraid. I have taken this on. I have stood in your place. What does the angel say to the women in Mark chapter 16? Do not be afraid. He has overcome. He has defeated sin and defeated death. He is the Savior who has come to bring the good news. Trust in him. And then they say in verse 7, Go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Carry out the plan that he has told you to carry out. But here's the problem. In verse 8, you know what happens? They become afraid and they run away and they don't do what they were called to do. And so again, we find ourselves in the story of, will we live by faith, trusting the plan of God, or will we be dominated by fear? Will we trust in the power of Jesus, a Savior and Lord, and live out the mission that he's called us to live, or will we, will we be dominated by fear and temptation and difficulty in life? That's the story that's posed to us by Jesus being with the wild animals. I want you to look at this final slide here as we think about where the wild things are. What do you do with Jesus going into the wild? What do you do with Jesus confronting and being with these wild animals? Number one, you trust in his victory. You trust in his salvation. The two enemies that we can never defeat Sin and death, he is overcome. And so we're not dominated by fear. We're not dominated by sin. We're not dominated by the fear of death. We trust in him. That's the foundation of what's happening with Jesus being with the wild animals. But on top of that, it's a reminder of the work that Jesus is going to do in the world and what he's going to do in the new creation. And so we want to live out that mission. One of those missions is simply doing the work of caring for animals and caring for creation. It is a good, good thing 
as the people of God, that we are called to care for creation. There are many of you who, if pressed, probably love your animals a little bit more than you love the people around you. Um, And you feel guilty for that sometimes. Or as pastors, we know that people deal with this difficulty of, should I be in church? Or, man, I could really meet with God in creation better than I can in, in church. And we feel this divide between, is it good to be in creation, or is it good to be gathered with the people of God celebrating the victory of Jesus? And can I just tell you, those two are meant to go together. That when we understand the victory of Jesus, it doesn't drive us away from caring for creation and being in creation. In fact, it should drive us toward that. And so we don't separate those two. We bring those two together. Amanda and I think about, you know, just the love that we have for our dog. Like, you know, we're going to drop the kids off to go somewhere. And like, we're just trying to kick them out of the van. Like, how fast can we get them out of the van? We have to drop the dog off, you know, for a few days to stay overnight. We're crying because we're trying to, like, let the dog stay with somebody else for a few nights. But we love our animals. We love creation. We love being in the wilderness. Why? Because we know it's a good gift from God. And we know that it's part of his new creation. And it's part of living fully in his world. But as we do that, the hope is that we point people to their ultimate need. And that's the need of how am I made right with my creator? I love his creation, but the question is, how am I made right with the creator? And that is through the power of Jesus Christ. And so we live fully in the world, and we share with people the good news of Jesus. So I love the fact that Jesus hung out with the wild animals, was he took on our fear, And he showed us the way to live as his people. Let's pray together. God, I know that in a room like this, that there are people that are dealing with all kinds of fear. Fear about sickness and their family. Fear about job problems. Fear about what's happening with their kids and their grandkids. God, I pray that we would remember that we are called to live by faith, that you have overcome, that you have overcome sin, you have overcome death, and so we put our hope in Jesus. And God, as your people, remind us that we are called to live fully in this world. God, we are called to show people a different way. We are called to share the good news of Jesus. God, I pray for kids who are coming this week for Vacation Bible School, for their parents and grandparents, God, that they would hear the gospel, that they would know how good you are. God, that as a church that you would send us out to share that. We share that Jesus brings victory and that his victory sets us free to live fully in this world as we look toward the hope of the new creation. God, do that work in our hearts right now. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.